0: Kristen, I'm one of the shepherds on staff here, and I am so grateful that we get to be all together on a family Sunday. These are one of my favorite days of the month, Um, but we have a lot of text because we're doing more than those six verses. So let's dive in. Um, The Bible does not give us the whole story of every person in it. Shocking news. Isaac is going to live to be 180 years old. That's older than Abraham. But we only get really little glimpses of his story. We do know that Isaac was circumcised at eight days. He was a young man when Abraham took him to Moriah as a sacrifice. He was 37 when his mom died, 40 when he married Rebekah, 60 when his twin sons Esau and Jacob were born, 75 when his father Abraham died, 100 when his son Esau married two Hittite women at the end of our passage today, and 180 when he died. We can guess at other ages in his story, but we know that Isaac was alive when Jacob married Leah and Rachel, and he was still alive when Joseph was sold into slavery. We just don't know all of his story. As Darren pointed out last week, the text in Genesis is not always in chronological order. That makes it hard to create a mental image of how old people are, or what stage of life they're in while the stories are happening that we're reading. Our text for today is a good example. We do not know when this story happens or how much time passes during it. Rebecca's attractiveness and the lack of mention of children, it may mean that the famine that sends Isaac to Gerar is before Jacob and Esau were born. Now, last week in chapter 25, Jacob and Esau were born and grew to apparent adulthood. But we may have just slipped back in time into the two decades between Isaac and Rebecca's marriage and the birth of their sons. Yet by the end of our chapter, Esau will be 40 years old and marrying women who will make life bitter for Isaac and Rebecca. Time is murky in the Bible. That's okay. If you read the Bible and notice that sometimes we seem to be slingshotting through or ricocheting around time, you are not alone. I'm with you. God chose to provide an historical narrative outside of a straight chronology. In Genesis 26, some things stand out when we're less focused on trying to line it all up chronologically. Isaac's life does not always seem to be about him. Look at the beginning of chapter 26. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Does this feel like an echo of a story we've already read? Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Abraham lived this story already. Abraham, when he was still Abram, heard God speak and give direction. Isaac is experiencing that now. God gave Abram specific geographic instructions. And God gave Isaac geographic instructions. God initiated a covenant with Abram that involved blessing and land. And God reiterates and continues that covenant with Isaac with blessing and land. But did you notice that God is speaking to Isaac, yet how much of it is about Isaac? In verse 3, I imagine there was great comfort in hearing, I will be with you and will bless you, for to you and to your offspring I will give these lands. And yet, is it about Isaac? The offspring will receive the land, the offspring will be the source of blessing for the nations. And why? Verse 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. Might Isaac have wanted to hear God say, stay here in this land and I will be with you. I will bless you and your descendants. The nations will be blessed because of your descendants. All of this is going to happen because your father, Abraham, and you, Isaac, obeyed my voice. Do you think Isaac was hoping to have his name appear in the covenant? the text sounds like Isaac and future generations are just hanging on the coattails of Abraham because Abraham obeyed. The rest of you unnamed people are in. How many of you have older siblings? I do. A lot of you do. Have you ever been introduced as so-and-so's sibling or so-and-so's child? Many of you, yes. And have you ever wondered if you even have your own identity? In high school, I was in band, and my brother, who was a grade ahead of me, was also in band. He was an outstanding musician and one of the best marchers in the band. He was only one of two freshmen to test into the parade band. We had a really competitive band. Then I came along. I was a perfectly adequate marcher and an okay musician, but I was his little sister so, even when I was unprepared to play the parade march from memory, because I didn't memorize it, I was automatically put in the parade band as a freshman because the band director knew my brother. He assumed one Hartman was like the other Hartman. I spent my whole band career as Little Hartman with the assumption that I was as musically and athletically talented as my brother. I was not. But I received all the benefits of being a Hartman in the band because of who my brother was and what my brother did. We shared a name, and his name and reputation impacted how I was viewed and treated for four years, even after he graduated. Does it feel as though Isaac is being included in the blessings of God's covenant with Abraham simply because he is Abraham's son? Do you think Isaac wondered if God knew him apart from his father? Do you think Isaac felt like he was just little Abraham? Do you ever wonder if God knows who you are apart from your family? God is a personal God. He knows you for you. You cannot slide through on the basis of someone else's relationship with God, like I slid through my band experience on my brother's reputation. Your choice to follow or not follow Jesus is yours alone. No one else can choose for you. Yet, God is also a communal God. We're seeing that in Genesis. God created a covenant with Abraham, and that involves Isaac. God knows Isaac individually. And God knows Isaac through the covenant that includes Abraham's descendants, of whom Isaac is the first. In Genesis 26... God is not slighting Isaac by not naming him. There is a focus on Abraham, but God knows Isaac. God is appearing to and speaking to Isaac. Isaac is both living out his own relationship with God, and Isaac is living within a covenantal community in which he is a very small part of a much bigger relationship with God. Do you see the parallels to us? We each have the opportunity to have our own relationship with God through Jesus. We each have to choose for ourselves. No one else can have saving faith for me or for you. And each person who has personal faith in Jesus enters into a much larger communal relationship with God. We are here as a community worshiping God today. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus, you are one small part within a bigger community in relationship with God. My faith is my own, but my faith is not only for me. My faith in and commitment to Jesus also includes a particular community, this church family. My gifts are not for me. They may be for you. Some of what I am blessed with may be tied to the faith of generations before me, both in my immediate family and my church family. Those older than me are integral to my faith. And I do not have children, but I'm a part of this church family. And that means I have a responsibility and an obligation to all of our children, all the generations younger than me. We are one family. So look around the room. Like, actually turn your heads. Look around the room. This is Family Sunday. This is your family. These are our generations. Your faith, regardless of your age, matters for you and it matters for this community, for this family. Our entire family needs each one of us. You are a part of a faith that is bigger than you. Your faith is not only for you, it's also for me and for every other person in this family. So, kids, students, this church is yours, this is your family. Young pros, this church is yours. This is your family. Singles, this church is yours. This is your family. Widows and widowers, this church is yours. This is your family. Whoever you are, whether you define yourself in relationship to someone else or not, whether you're here in person or you're streaming from home, this church is yours. This is Is your family. And no matter what the word family stirs in you, whether that's warm feelings or painful realities, this church is still yours. In our individual and collective imperfections and failures, we are a community of faith. You matter. You matter in this family. We are yours and you are ours. And we will screw it up just like Isaac did, but do not quit. It's messy, it's hard. Stay in. We need your faith, and you need ours. And what an incredible model it is for us to have Isaac as the link between Abraham and future generations. Because most of us are probably a lot like Isaac, and we live a lot of our lives wondering if we are always going to be unnamed in God's story. Isaac had no idea that future generations would know his name. But it doesn't matter If anyone remembers Isaac's name, or anyone remembers our names, because it's not about us. It's not our story. It was not Isaac's story. This is God's story. Look at Genesis 26. Isaac repeats another pattern of his father, beginning in verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, "'She is my sister,' for he feared to say, "'My wife,' thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Okay, we've heard this story before. Abraham did this not once, but twice. And he even pulled the she's my sister deception with the Philistines in Gerar with a king named Abimelech. It doesn't mean it's the same king. Abimelech means the king is my father, and many kings used it as their royal name. But nonetheless, Isaac repeats a prominent pattern from Abraham's life. God gives clear direction, Abraham and Isaac obey, and they are still afraid and choose to be deceptive. When God promises multiple generations and blessings, they are afraid of dying without heirs, so they choose to lie. Did Isaac realize he was following in his father's footsteps? I don't know. And what about Rebecca? Was she a willing participant? When did Isaac tell her his plan? How must she have felt? It doesn't tell us. Beginning in verse 8, when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. The ESV translates the word in verse 8 as Isaac laughing with Rebekah. It is the word that was used for laughing back with Sarah and Ishmael and Lot's sons-in-law, but the meaning here is different. Most other translations choose to translate it as caressing. This is an intimate and physical interaction between Isaac and Rebekah that Abimelech could not possibly misconstrue. So his response is very understandable. He is not overreacting here. And we see in the isaac rebecca abimelech narrative much of what we saw in the Abraham-Sarah-Abimelech narrative. God's chosen person, the presumably godly man, makes choices that are ungodly. Meanwhile, the ungodly leader makes honorable choices. The Philistine kings are acting in more godly ways than God's chosen people. Sometimes those outside the family of God act with more integrity and higher moral standards than those who claim to follow God. That's still true today. Sometimes those outside the family of God act with more integrity and higher moral standards than those who claim to follow God. And of all the stories in Isaac's life, why did God choose to highlight this story, following negatively in Abraham's footsteps? God repeated this theme three times. It must be important. We are not in much danger of introducing a spouse as a sibling. But all of us face choices to operate out of fear or to manipulate for our own benefit. What situations are you facing today in which you are tempted to give in to the fear of, what if they, instead of trusting God? What situations do you find yourself in where it seems easier to tell a partial truth because the whole truth feels too risky? When do you default to deception? What patterns of our family, whether that's family of origin, family of choice, or even church family, what patterns of our family do we fall into when God has offered us freedom from the patterns and sins of our family. Genesis 26, starting in verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. Time is passing at least one year of great blessing, but presumably many more years pass in these few short verses. And why is God blessing Isaac in verse 12? It does not appear to be connected to Isaac's choices. Perhaps it's tied to the blessing promised to Abraham, but this is not a transaction. Isaac is not checking boxes to earn God's blessing. That's not God's way. Even when God is fulfilling his promises, we can never put God in the box of if people do what they're told, God will bless them. Many obedient people in the Bible were not blessed in material ways. Yet here, with no reason given, God blesses Isaac. And the Philistines do not like this outsider being wealthier than they are. They envy him and set out to sabotage him. Back in Genesis 21, Abraham made a treaty with the Philistines that included water rights. As Abraham's son, Isaac has a right to this water. Yet even when the Philistines stop up his wells and endanger his flocks, Isaac is not leaving. So Abimelech explicitly asks Isaac to leave and says honestly in verse 16, you are much mightier than we. And time keeps moving. Remember, if the interaction between Isaac and Abimelech at the beginning of the chapter happened before Jacob and Esau were born, that means it happened while Abraham was alive. Yet now saying the days of Abraham means Abraham's days are over. So Isaac was 60 when his sons were born Seventy-five when Abraham dies. So Isaac has most likely been in the Philistines' land for 20 years or maybe much longer. And look what comes next, beginning in verse 17. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Asik, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehovoth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land." So Abraham is dead. Isaac is older than 75, though we do not know how old exactly. A lot of time has passed in our text. And either the Philistines have forgotten about Abraham, or they are choosing to stop the wells in violation of the treaty. And when Isaac finds new water sources, the Philistines make trouble twice. And Isaac abandons the wells. Why? was Isaac demonstrating wisdom in knowing what to let go of. He had a right to his father's wells, and he did not insist on that right. He chose to surrender his right. And when his men dug new wells, and he chose to avoid conflict for the sake of peace with his neighbors. And it appears God rewarded that, as we see in verse 22. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehovoth, saying, For the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. The covenant promised land and fruitfulness. And Isaac connects this well, this place, with God's provision. Verse 23. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you, and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there, Isaac's servants dug a well. Again, we have no time frame for this move, but Isaac moves from Rehovoth to Beersheba, and again, God appears to him. Did God appear during the years between the beginning of this chapter and now? We don't know, but maybe these appearances were rare because look how God introduces himself I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. That does not sound like an introduction of someone Isaac recently encountered. That sounds like Isaac might not recognize, and was afraid of, God. I don't think the line fear not is for dramatic effect. God or angels appearing is both awe and fear inspiring. The immediate and uncontrolled human response is to freeze in spontaneous submission to a holy being. And look at God's words in verse 24. I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. God reiterates his presence and his blessing. He reiterates the covenant he made with Abraham. He uses some of the same words that he has said to Isaac before. Why now? Why does God say this now? What was happening that Isaac needed to hear these words at this point in his life. We don't know, but we know Isaac responds with worship. He builds an altar. He calls on the name of the Lord. Isaac pitches his tent and his men dig a well. He appears to be settling in for a long stay, but we don't know how long it is before verse 26. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Pikol the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning, they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Again, Isaac lives out a very similar experience to Abraham. In Genesis 21, Abimelech and Pichol approached Abraham at Beersheba, and they formed a covenant, a treaty. A well was involved. The setting people and actions seem almost identical. Their memories are maybe a little fuzzy, as the Philistines have not really been nothing but good to Isaac. Nonetheless, they see God blessing Isaac, and Isaac chooses to bless them by spreading a feast before them and exchanging oaths with them. It can seem that Isaac isn't really living his own life. His life was not his own. We know so little of what happened in his 180 years, but the glimpses God gives us seem to fit into a pattern of his father rather than highlighting who Isaac was as his own man. What seems to be important is not exactly how old Isaac was when these stories happened or why he made the choices he did or even who Isaac was as his own person. What's important is that Isaac has a relationship with God and Isaac is one part of a greater whole in relationship to God. What's important is that Isaac's faith serves that greater family. The covenant continues to the next generation. But it is not about Isaac. Isaac is part of a faith community, and his choices affect those around him. Isaac's family is affected by his choices. The Philistines are affected by his choices. What about you? Are you part of a faith community? Have you personally surrendered your life to Jesus and acknowledge that it is by gracious forgiveness that comes through Jesus, death and resurrection, that you can have a relationship with God? If not, please do not leave here today without talking to someone about that. Find someone with a white name tag. Come up in a few minutes to talk or pray with someone. Grab somebody sitting near you. They probably won't bite. Okay? If you have begun your relationship with God, how are your choices affecting those around you, both inside the faith community, your family, this church, and those outside the faith community? The Philistines knew there was something different about Isaac. Do your neighbors and classmates and coworkers know there is something different about you? Are they seeing and benefiting from the blessings of your faith? I hope so. I hope I live every day with full recognition that it is not about me, but what a privilege I have to live a life of faith that affects those around me and generations to come who will mercifully never know my name. May that be true of each of us. May our small and seemingly forgettable choices to live out our part of God's story be a blessing to our church family, to those in our circles, and to everyone our lives touch each and every day. And may people who meet us also want to meet our God. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are big enough to know each of us individually and to know us together, that you have chosen for us to be a part of your family and that there is room for us with you. God, we thank you for the ways that you see us and know us, that we are not lost in the shuffle of unnamed people, but you care about each and every one. Give us eyes to see those around us the way you see us. In Jesus' name, amen.